0: now, you never will be. That is the Vance Chancel Choir under the direction of Mrs. Debbie Briding. And that was fun. So, from Genesis 17, the first seven verses, we hear this. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. I'm sorry, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations." For an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her and she shall give rise to the nations. Kings of the peoples shall come from her. Then he began to teach them that, oh, this is different. Okay, so that's the end of that. Abraham, God makes a covenant with Abraham and Sarah. The story here now, we have move on to Mark 8. Because we're in Lent now, we're taking a Lenten journey to walk forward with Jesus to the cross. And this is when things start to get... Mm, difficult for, his, for Jesus' disciples. We're in the 8th chapter of Mark, which is ha- about halfway through, and this is what we get. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Jesus said this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What you saw with our children today was a little experiment. You know, contemporary churches don't want to use the word Christian anymore. So they won't call people to be Christians. They'll call them to be followers of Jesus or Christ followers. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, I don't think. I mean, that's all Jesus did was call people to follow him. But it's interesting that the word Christian is so laden with junk from our culture that they've decided not to use it anymore. So today we talk about, instead of talk about being Christians, we talk about what it is to follow Jesus. And our kids are pretty smart about that. You heard what they said. Follow Jesus. You do what he says. You act like him. You show love. You give people things they need. Our kids are pretty smart. Somebody's doing a good job in that Christian Ed Wing up there. This text is hard, though, because it asks more of us. Than just those things. Jesus says, Take up your cross and follow me. Well, who wants to do that? Crosses are methods of execution in Jesus' day. Only the worst criminals got killed that way because it was public and painful. And yet, that's what he says. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Now to fully get this, we have to understand a few things. First of all, the text starts out, and we miss it, the way that the lectionary cuts this off. But the first part of this is Jesus saying to his disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? Have any of you ever done that? Like, hey, what's my staff saying about me? Only if you have very good friends will they tell you the truth about that usually. And sometimes it's things you don't want to hear. But in this case, the disciples say to Jesus, well, some think you're a prophet, and some think you're Elijah, and some think you're a great teacher. And and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And they say, you're the Messiah. Peter, in particular, says that. But at the very beginning of that text, we get the notion that they're at Caesarea Philippi. The text makes the point to say that first to us. And you're all looking at me going, well, who cares? Well, you've got to know a little bit about geography to know that. First of all, Caesarea Philippi was the most Roman outpost in the empire. Rome was the only place you could go and be more Roman than Caesarea Philippi. So that's a couple of things that makes it dangerous for Jesus because the Romans didn't really like him. He was causing trouble. And it's not people who are apt to want to hear his message because they have a message. They have a life force to follow. They're Romans. Secondly, Caesarea Philippi was the highest point in the nation of Israel, when it was at its very height. So, Israel didn't go any farther than that. Jesus, who at one point says he comes to seek and save the lost of Israel, is at the highest point he can go. And the interesting part of the text is Jesus is at first talking with his disciples who do they say that I am? Peter says some stuff, and then it says very clearly in this text, Jesus called, Jesus called to the crowd to listen to what he was going to say. And then he says all this stuff about denying yourself and taking up your cross and all of this kind of thing. Well, it's important enough to him that he wants everybody to hear this word. It's the crux of what he wants people to know about him. Self-denial and cross-bearing describe what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus. These important ideas could be the focus of a whole sermon for those who desire more detail. But here, Jesus' portrait of discipleship is anything but attractive and easy. Self-denial, a notion that John Calvin said constitutes the sum of the Christian life, I didn't know that about John Calvin until today. The sum of the Christian life is self-denial. It's not primarily about squashing our desires or delaying gratification. Jesus calls us to separate ourselves from what defines us. Do you get that? Jesus calls us to separate ourselves from what defines us. A person in Jesus' culture was defined by those to whom he or she belonged. Usually a household or kin. kin. They had a clan. Tribe. Jesus calls people to embrace new understandings of, of identity. Disciples join a community defined by association with Jesus who himself denies conventional understandings of who he must be. They enter a new family comprising all of Jesus' followers. Self-denial is not self-annihilation, but complete redefinition. Self-denial does not mean seeking and embracing abuse for its own sake, as if suffering itself was redemptive or a mark of virtue. Jesus has spent over seven chapters in Mark, alleviating needless suffering or oppression wherever he encounters it. How could he be endorsing these things here? He is not. Do not allow this text to perpetuate or excuse victimization. The kind of suffering Jesus acknowledges is a reality in this passage, is a particular kind, persecution resulting from following him. Self-denial and redefinition come with their risks. Likewise, cross-bearing means much more than patience or obedience. It means hmm, death. It means the resignation of one's reputation and life. Crosses imply rejection. Those who bore crosses in the Roman imperial world were publicly declaring that their society or their leaders had denied them. Those who follow Jesus, associating with this vividly rejected Christ, take on an identity and a way of living that pose threats to the world's corrosive ideologies and idolatries. The part of that that's interesting to me is the notion that when we gain a new identity... and live in a world that takes on the world outside these walls, that we need to do it with a new family, a new tribe, new kin, a new community. The reason that's fascinating to me is because I just read this week a new theory on why the church is failing in the contemporary United States. And what it says is, and particularly after COVID, that people don't want to live in community anymore. We have taken in America the notion of rugged individualism so far that people have decided they don't need other people. Now, in my mind, that's crazy. Oh, I shouldn't use the word crazy. I don't understand that, personally. I think we're wired as human beings to need other human beings. But it's apparently not the way our new generations are thinking. And if you look statistically at what's happening... This theory does make some sense. People are not only not coming to church anymore and finding community here, but they're not doing things like going to Rotary or joining the Lions Club. Not even joining the Country Club. Proof of that is the popularity of online dating. People don't even get out in the world to find mates anymore. We stay at home on our computers. But Jesus says, if we are going to live as Jesus' followers, that's not going to work for us. I actually think that the community of the church... Is what's countercultural now. Of course, that only works if we act like the church and not like every other organization around. Once again, I point to our children. They know what it's supposed to look like. Are we spreading love to one another? Are we kind to one another? Do we give each other stuff when we need it? Do we take care of each other? Something about a community centered around Christ needs to have something to do with self-denial and cross-bearing, which means it has to be about something bigger than ourselves. Now, I will grant you, the community will help each of us individually carry on these acts of self denial and cross bearing, but we do them better together. If you don't remember anything from today, remember, we're better together. The ways of self denial and cross bearing demand. That We have community to live in to help us carry on. Jesus, when he reaches out to the crowd, not just to his disciples, is saying something important. He's saying, all y'all need to know this so that you can come together. Come help us redefine what community is come help us redefine what identity is so that you may live. In Greek, the word live appears in this passage something like six times. The word is psyche. It's where we get the word psychology, psychiatric. It's about your wholeness, your soul, your body. Sometimes gets interpreted Soul. The notion is that in Jesus Christ, who tells us to deny ourselves and take up our cross, to follow him, we can find true life. Life that is filled with joy. Life that is filled with love. Life that is filled with community. As we serve others. Friends, take up your cross, deny yourselves, follow Jesus, and live. Amen.